on this episode of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. When I'm talking to people, you know, and people come in and say, they say yeah, well, so are you really Irish? Are you putting on that accent, you know? And, and I look at them and I kind of go, are, are you really American? Are you really wherever you're from? Where are you from? We, we can't, can't keep this accent up for five hours, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> in Spanish, its name means the meadows. You might know it as the entertainment capital of the world, lost wages, or simply Sin City. Of course, I'm talking about fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. On average, 42 million people visit Las Vegas every year, and I'm one of them. I love this city. The sights, the sounds, the shows, the people, the history. I want to share all of it with you. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 63 of the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Thanks once again for hopping on board another virtual podcast journey to what I like to think of as the best city in the world, fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Before we get rolling for this episode of the show, I want to thank my guest from the last episode, Jeff Schumacher from the Mob Museum, who joined me to talk about one of the most colorful characters in Las Vegas's history, eccentric billionaire Howard Hughes. We took a deep dive into Hughes' time in Las Vegas from his unannounced arrival by train in November of 1966 to the multiple hotels and casinos he purchased during his time in the city and his equally mysterious departure in late 1970. We also chatted about some of those legendary Howard Hughes myths. If you haven't listened as of yet, jump into the archives wherever you get your podcasts and search out episode number 62. Howard Hughes, aviator, innovator, and Las Vegas legend, or head to the website at jeffdoesvegas.com. All right, on to the show. I made my first visit to Rira Irish Pub in the shops at Mandalay Bay back in June of 2019, and I reviewed the experience in episode number 24 of the podcast. As I described it at the time, everything about Rira was authentically Irish, from the decor, to the food, to the staff, to the Guinness, to the huge whiskey selection, to the music. And that's where my guests for this episode of the podcast come into play. This time around, I'm joined by Dave Rooney and Dave Brown, who together make up the Black Donnellys, and they are the official house band at Rira. Over the course of our conversation, we talked about their growing up in Dublin and the band's origins in Ireland, how and why they made the move to Las Vegas, the various Guinness World Records that they hold, some of the celebs who've joined them on stage at Rira, their brand new documentary, An Irish Story, This Is My Home, and of course, we talked pandemic and how they've been keeping busy during the Vegas shutdown. Please enjoy my conversation with Dave Rooney and Dave Brown of the Black Donnellys. I started off uh, just playing complete, total original music since I was 12 or 13 in a whole heap of bands with different musicians and blah, blah, blah. Um, released singles, uh, toured around the country, all original, never, never did any... Uh, cover songs till I was around 27, 28 um, and then just tried to get the record deal had a couple of small deals 
had a couple of minor hit singles, all all that sort of stuff, and then uh, and and just worked all the way through all around Ireland. Some stuff in Sweden, some stuff in um, some stuff in the states. Not much, but barely, but that was it. Just always searching for the deal, always looking, talk to every record company in the world, got refused by every record company in the world. Um, and and just basically done that, writing, writing and producing all original stuff. Uh, and then all the way up until, I say, till I was 27, 28, and maybe a little bit later, and then start doing, start getting into the cover work and making left working as, a, as a, a job and then just made money of playing music and learned to play the guitar properly by then, you know? But mainly all around, all around Ireland, some stuff in Europe, but mainly Ireland, you know? Whereas the other lad has never seen Ireland and jumped away. <laughs> 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 Completely different. Yeah. I, I, I did, yeah, a, a different path, as Dave says. Um, so I started off, I moved away when I was 22. Uh, I'd lived in Ireland up until then, 21. And then I moved to, to Munich, Germany, and then, uh, well, first of all, foremost, my, my love for music, my mother and father were big music fans, and, and they, they were very much into their live music, and very much going out, seeing bands, buying records, all that stuff. So I was heavily influenced by that, uh, from anywhere from the Beatles to ELO to Billy Joel to country music to whatever, it goes on. And um, uh, I was always singing at parties, and always singing in the pub. He was, oh, Dave, give us a song, or whatever, you know, and then... I started working as, as a bartender and uh, uh, I, I, I moved to Munich, Germany and they, they, uh, they started this uh, karaoke show and they asked me would I like to host it and I said no. <laughs> so they, so they, bought me, they bought me a big gold jacket, like a drifter's jacket and I had a, a bow tie and, and a butterfly shirt and, I started, and that's when I started kind of singing and, and hosting the show. Um, I, I tried about seven or eight times to learn to play the guitar and just threw it down every time because I got so sick of it. I was like, oh, I'm never going to be able to do this. Until I moved to uh, Copenhagen, Denmark, and then uh, I worked in a, in a music bar there where they had live music every night of the week and used to call me out and sing and stuff like that. And then I had this, this bass that a friend of mine had bought me and then there was a trad, traditional uh, band used to play there and he said, no, play this, play this, play this. Sit down in one of the sessions one day. I was trying to actually sell the bass guitar one day, and uh, I sit down in the session. I learned how to play bass, and obviously I, I've been singing since I've been about ten anyway. So I, I, I knew I could sing, you know. But uh, and from there, I just my first gig was my twenty-sixth birthday in nineteen ninety-six, where I, I left. I, I where it was in the, the the bar where I was working, the Shamrock Bar in in Copenhagen, Denmark, and then uh, I left. Uh, I left the, uh, my job that night. I went on to play music. And I was writing songs ever since I could play a note. And, 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 and here we are. <laughs> and so how did you guys connect? When, when, when did you guys get together and, and start performing? So I moved, I moved down to uh, Mallorca and I played the, uh, down the holiday resorts down there. And then moved down to Lanzarote, which is an island, a Spanish island off the coast of Morocco. And it's, an, it's, a, it's a popular Irish destination. And I was playing in a, in a, a bar there called Coo Cullen's. And Dave was over with another guitarist and their girlfriends at the time. And uh, we got talking and uh, we had mutual acquaintances and we started talking about stuff. And Dave had been over and back then about four or five times. And by then, by then, uh, uh, you know, we'd become friends as, as such. And uh, I was telling, telling him that I was thinking about moving back to Ireland after, after being away for so long. Because I ultimately left when I was 21. I moved back when I was 36. So, um, uh, yeah, so, so that's where we met. And then uh, he said, well, I've got a couple of gigs at home. I'm managing this young guy who was uh, a guy called George Murphy. 
And he says, I've got a couple of gigs. The first gig was the O2 in, uh, in Dublin. Well, it was called the Point then, but the O2 or the Three Arena. And he says, um, uh, I have a, so we opened for Madness, uh, the, the popular band. And, uh, and that's how we, we ultimately started playing together. I was doing some work for Sony. And I was actually out fishing for new songs, original songs for the second album. First album had gone triple platinum in Ireland. And we were, I was looking for other songs. And then when I got taught the day, he gave me three songs. I think Silver Lining would be one of them. Was that one of them? Yeah, uh, Tara Street. Tara Street. And then, the, uh, and then This Is My Home, and, uh, which, which is mad because I went and uh, we, uh, I got Dave over and we, and we demoed it. I had a studio at the time. And where I shopped at the Sony, and uh, it it just wasn't it wasn't sitting. There was something not right with the the, the song was obviously powerful and it was great, but it just wasn't sitting. Uh, Sony didn't take it, and a couple of other people it didn't make this album. And as I always say, thank God it never made our album. Do you know what I mean? We, we, it, it, it's, well, I mean, I think we we do the best version of it anyway, you know. But it would have been there. Uh, we were hoping that you know we could get some stuff with Sony Ross. Anyway, but that's that's how we met. We we talked about music, done some stuff. Dave came to Dublin, decided he was moving home. And at that stage, I was doing a load of uh, pub gigs and small gigs, and then on original gigs as well. So I said, like, I'll jump in, and then we just started doing it, just start playing then together, and, and we had we jumped into all different. Quite loads of different musicians, different drummers, different different singers, all sorts of people with us, you know. Tell me a little bit about playing music, playing live music in Dublin, in the city of Dublin. I mean, there's there's something special about the the music world in that city and the pub scene particularly. I mean, we when we went to Dublin, we did the, you know, we went through Temple Bar and we went through that that whole area and everything. And then the person, a friend of ours that was living there at the time, took us to her local. And what an experience to be there at a local on a Sunday night where it's just such a, a cross section of age groups and people and, and, and musicians. And it's, it really is a, it's, it's something special in a really unique uh, world, isn't it? Yeah. Ireland, Ireland is steeped in, in, in music. Uh, it's in our culture. It's right in the very fabric of who we are as people. It's in our personalities. It's, it's all around us. We're, we're brought into it. Uh, the other side of that is the pub culture is 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 very very thick, very very. Uh, it's a it's a way of life. Um, everybody goes to the pub at the weekend. Everybody drinks, and then you know you got blue collar workers. We call them working class, whatever. Um, everyone comes together like that. There's there's a pulse in Dublin or in Ireland. There's a, a vibe amongst people that uh, resounds all around you. Uh, there's an energy there that's like nowhere else in the world. And I don't think Irish people are like anybody else in the world. We're very very unique in our way. Our celebration of life, uh, how we see things, and how we how we respond to one another, and uh, we all want to get on and, and be happy, and uh, and that shows. Our personality shines through. So I, I'm not surprised that you say what you say you do, because uh, most Americans and most Canadians and people outside of Ireland feel the same way, and they flock to the place. It's like, yeah. a, like an injection of personality they get, you know. I was about 14 years playing in Temple Bar. My first world record was in the Temple of Bar pub itself, where I did 114 hours straight, and with every musician in the in the place, right? But the thing about it is, and we were only talking about this the other night. Um, it, it's like we we as musicians uh, are 
I think sometimes we're too close to it, so we don't get the we don't see what everyone. Not that we don't we don't feel what everyone else feels because to us, we're going in, we're playing, we're doing a job, we'll jump to the next gig. Like at one stage, we were doing five shows a day, you know. So you are not getting. I know friends of mine that go over like four or five times a year to Temple Bar, and they just they can't. Like they always say, "This is the best job in the world. It's so great." You come over and. It's, it's like us probably going out for a night in Nashville and New Orleans and go like, well, this is great. And then you talk to musicians, I go like, oh man, I hate this shit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> when you're away, and then but when we travel away, we go to other cities and go like, we're expecting a Temple Bar vibe, you know? And then you go in and you go like, well, I, I now see what people see in Temple Bar, you know? And the, the, the surrounding areas. And I say the sessions on a Sunday night, yeah. The, the, the local says when you're not when, when you're just part of it and you're just it's there's there's nothing better for the size of a country that we are we're so unique in that way you know and, and it's, it's it's a brilliant energy it's and we all grew up with music everybody does something in a family everyone has somebody that has that plays music or played in the band or did you know what i mean it's in your blood and so i guess the the next question and maybe it's a silly question um why Las Vegas? How did you guys end up in Vegas? I mean, it, it, Vegas doesn't necessarily seem as the uh, uh, the epicenter for uh, Irish pub culture, per se, um, as opposed to a city like, say, New York or Boston. Did the the gig from Rira, where you guys kind of headhunted by Rira to, to go and, and do the gig there? It, how did that all sort of come about? The people who run the show in Rira they were actually over during the world record they asked me to go over when i play i came it took me three times to come over i came over played did a week i was with another singer and we did yeah they was out doing some solo stuff in europe and i came back and i said to him man you got me that that's come out here with me and have a look at this so we went back out again but when i landed from the first time i got an email I said please can you come back out again so we went back out and then i said dave come on out so we've done two or three trips out here and we had breakfast one morning in the Mandalay Bay, and, we, and then he said, would you live out here? And I said, absolutely. Because it was great. You know what I mean? They, it, it's very Vegas. They built a piece of Ireland in the desert. That's, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they, got, they, they brought us out. So we went to with an idea of let be the house band. And they, we'd done a three-month trial here. And we took it from there ourselves, you know. And and it's interesting that you put it like that, and that you say it's it's like they put a piece of Ireland in in the desert, because I mean there are other Irish bars and Irish pubs in Vegas and on the Strip and such that have tried, but I don't feel when I've gone into Rira, I feel I feel like I'm in Dublin, and I brought my wife there for the first time back in December. And she said the same thing. We sat at the bar and we had a bite to eat and we had a couple of pints of Guinness. And we just, we were both like, this makes us want to go back to Ireland. Well, a lot of the, um, a lot of the woods uh, came over from Ireland. Uh, so it's, it's great that they bring the actual wood and the bricks and whatever. And they have certain statues in there. The other thing is what they have is the J1 program, which enables them to legally bring over Irish workers to work in the place which obviously sets off the, the, the atmosphere and give you that familiarity that you got when you, when you were in Dublin and Ireland for that matter, because they're not all from Dublin, they're from different, different parts. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's a huge draw. Um, it's, it's very weird that you can walk into the shops at Mandalay Bay and then take a right turn into Rira and then suddenly you're hit like, because everybody says the same thing. They say, man, you would never know you were, you were in a casino in Las Vegas. When you come in here, you know, you got me and Dave on the stage and we're, you know, slagging people. What are you doing? Where have you been? <laughs> no, just, just for fun and uh, 
you got all the Irish fare, you've got the, the, the whiskey and the, and they've, they've great whiskey selection there as well and the Guinness and so on. So it, it all, it's all, they're, they're all integral parts of what forms the, the Irish experience. So uh, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear you say what you say. And, and I'm glad you brought up doing the, the J1 program and bringing over Irish workers because the first time I went in there and I was greeted from the bar by someone with an Irish accent. And as I left that night, I thought either they're only hiring Irish people to work here or they're hiring really good actors. Actors. <laughs> it's a funny thing, though, isn't it? Like that uh, when I'm talking to people, you know, and people come in and say, yeah, well, so are you really Irish? Are you putting on that accent, you know? And, and I look at them and I kind of go, are, are you really American? Are you really wherever you're from? Where are you from? We, we can't, can't keep this accent up for five hours, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you'd, be, you'd be trying very hard, but they're very suspicious. And then we worked out as to why, because lots of people actually pretend that they're from Ireland and they put on these faux uh, Irish-esque uh, Really Scottish Pakistani accents. <laughs> really, really bad accents. I mean, really bad. And they say these, they, they use these terminologies. Are you, are you ready for a pint, laddie? <laughs> and we look at them and go, we don't talk like that. What are you talking about, you mongo? And then, and then something like, um, uh, what else do they say? My God. It's a slancha, never. Oh, also slancha or, uh, oh man. It's a right crack, ain't it? That was terrible. I don't even know what that was. <laughs> yeah, it's very much like that, you know, where, where, where we can detect immediately uh, that, that these people aren't, aren't natives. You know what I mean? And look, don't get me wrong. I mean, we don't think we're special or we're better than anybody else or anything like that. We never pretend to be anybody else. We just be ourselves. And we expect that of everybody else. But when you come up, when you start acting like a fool like that, people are not going to have respect for you. They're going to go like, what are you doing, you nutcase, you know? But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but we get that kind of thing a lot. And now I understand why people are so suspicious of, of our accents and stuff like that, you know? Well, and I think a lot of that, I guess it's the, it's the whole Vegas vibe in that where nothing really, nothing is real. (laughs) Exactly. Nothing Nothing is real. No, you've got a giant pyramid in the desert and an Eiffel tower down the street and the Statue of Liberty and fake canals and, and all of that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you got to appreciate that, I guess. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing. Although most people that come here think they've been drug that they've dropped an acid yeah. tab or something like that you know uh it it really is what a creation uh what a place um the, the, there's two sides of it i mean if you can embrace las vegas for what it is well then it's, it's definitely one of the best places in the world hands down um but you can also look at it as, as being fake and you can look at it as being uh soulless and uh and, the, and there are them types of uh, of feelings that you can get at various times during the year you know but for the most part for us it's a very very good window Great place to network, great place to experience, and uh, and the mountain does actually come to Muhammad. You know what I mean? And uh, so so that's it's pretty good. It's it, it's worked very well for us. Uh, I'm not saying it would work for everybody, but uh, generally, if you're open for it and you want to embrace it, well, then it's there for for you to take. It's the same at home when, when people talk about like um, a lot of people. Oh, I won't go to Temple Bar because it's too dangerous. And don't do this. And like, you don't have to go. It's like living in Vegas. You don't, we don't live on the strip. Like you know what I mean. We don't live under the Eiffel Tower. You know, we, we're like we're fifteen twenty minute drive from the place. We have our own life up here. You know, and and uh, where we live in Henderson, and it's like it's great to look out. And go, like, Vegas is just down there. If we want to pop in for a night, we can go to one of the most iconic uh, tourist centers in the world. Do you know what I mean? And then we can drive back over and live where we are. Same with Temple Bar, the same with all these people. It, it's just, you know, I, I think 
as they say, he could come in and, um, and people do, they come in and embrace it and then lose all their money and go home. Like we see, when we're traveling out, you see all the cars coming into Vegas and everybody's, oh, Vegas, baby, let's do shots. And, like, and then on Sunday night, they're all coming home like this. Vegas, something kicks the shit out of you and then sends you home. But they all come back then again like six weeks later, you know? <laughs> yeah. and, and, and it's, it's uh, and we, I mean, it's great for us because when they come in, everyone's in a party vibe, you know? And, and, and it's great. Yeah, it's like with the conventions and the locals and stuff, and we feed off that as well. You know, that helps us to, to be able to gig like six nights a week in it. Well, and and I it's I guess the the way you put it, as you guys said earlier, we were talking, you were saying about you know how you kind of get down playing so many gigs in a night or so many gigs in a day kind of deal. With that atmosphere in Las Vegas, that's really got to I would imagine, as you say, it really helps you continue to to stay up. Yeah, well, the, the whole thing about it is is that it's very transient, right? And and this helps because you've you've got a a constant conveyor belt of people coming in and out in and out all the time. So you've never got the same, you've never got the same crowd, right? You, you've never got the same gig. Uh, together with that, we never use a set list. We don't use a set list. Uh, it's just something that I've, I've gone, I've worked by that, that same rule ever since I started. And it, 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 it never fails. And, and the reason for that is, is that uh, you, you cut your cloth to your measure. You, you, you talk to the crowd, you engage the crowd. You see what kind of demographic they are, obviously. Um, you get some feedback about as to you know, what they like. We ask for requests all the time. We play songs off the cuff all of the time. Uh, it works 89% of the time. <laughs> it, it, it works 60% of the time. Oh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's, um, it's one of them things. Very, very transient. Um, it's great. So the, the, the third part I would say about that is, is that uh, people are there for a reason, to enjoy themselves, blow off steam. The energy is always up. You've always got the holiday vibe going on, and uh, and therefore we feed off that energy. Um, because when you don't have that energy, well, then I, I cannot believe how much energy gets actually sapped oh, out man. of me. You, you'd be dying is, after the show. Yeah, which is what we're experiencing on our, our, our online shows at the moment, where you know you don't have the applause, you don't have the the, the thing at the end of the two hours, or sometimes we do three hours. <laughs> Uh, I, I actually have to go and lie down, you know, because I got kind of going like, Jesus, that was tough. But yeah, but I mean, sorry, I, I know that was a long-winded answer, but in answer to your question, we certainly feed off it very, very transient, and 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 I'm I'm glad it's that way. And something else that you guys, I mean, Vegas, I'm sure has been very helpful with this is you guys have had a chance to play with a few celebs that I I would imagine just kind of they're wandering through, they hear music, they come in, and boom, you've got person x on the stage yeah yeah oh yeah we've had all sorts of mad people with us <laughs> yeah they're all head cases that we've had uh, who do we have uh, oh the dog the bounty hunter was great yeah so so he, he comes in he, he's he's funny but his wife beth who has recently passed away god bless her uh she uh she, we linked up with her when she was in and she wanted to sing and we get her up singing uh, the son of a preacher man and all that stuff. And then dog's in the background and he's kind of, you know, he wants to get up like, you know. So, so he comes up anyway and he, he goes, uh, okay, 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 tequila, okay, okay, tequila. And we went, okay, what? Did it, did it, did it, did it. So we start playing this right and then he goes, tequila, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, tequila, did it, did it. And I have a video of it. It's on our page there. If you look at it, You'll see me absolutely dying laughing, you know. Um, we've had um, Benny Reedfeld from Santana. He played bass for us one night. 
with the crack. And uh, we've had um, a, a boxers, Ricky Hatton. The or, rhythm section from Hart. We had Hart up with us as well. That was, yeah. that was funny. That was that fun, was man. Uh, Michael Jackson's father uh, walks in and out every now and again. Joe, Joe Jackson. <laughs> when, he, when he was alive. Uh, when wow. he was, um, yeah, yeah he walked in and out. Um, but lots of, and lots of, uh, lots of movie stars come in and out with, with caps on and glasses and stuff like that, you know? So we've had the uh, entourage, we've had a lot of them uh, actors in as well. And uh, it's pretty cool Dave, that, in that way, you know? Dave Matthews is a really, really nice guy. Tim Reynolds came on a, on a Tuesday night and um, they were, I came in with some of the crew and the, the bar manager is a huge uh, Dave Matthews fan. He goes, oh my God, Tim Reynolds is watching you, he's watching you, you know? So that was grand. Yeah. And then the next night, they had it blocked off that Dave Matthews came in with some of the other band and they all stood. So we went in and it was all blocked off. Well, we, we own the place, so fuck it, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. so uh, just went over and said, uh, how are you, Dave? We're the band. We're going on now. And uh, just so you know. And he, and he goes, oh, no, we came in to see us. Tim was saying, he's a great boys. He stayed for like an hour and a half, watched the show. We had drinks with him afterwards. He is such a nice guy. Like, absolutely top man. The Black Donnellys are badass. That was badass, the caption yeah. of the evening. We got a great photograph of them holding our album. And uh, yeah, it was really cool. Very, very nice indeed. You know? mm. That's amazing. Now we have like, and then people from the strip like that, that work the strip, either like they got boys from the Tenors of Rock come up, do a couple of songs with us. We had uh, the guys from Human Nature up as well. Um, a couple of different guitar players and singers that would, the, the, the Nashville Unplugged that goes on, all the guys that write for like uh, Miranda Lambert and Gar Brooks, all the songwriters, they come up and jam with us. And they're, they're so much fun. Like, so we get all them up and we, we, eh, that's, that's, that's always great, you know, when people come in. And people like, oh, can I come up and sing with you? Yeah, absolutely, jump up, you know? No, we have no problem with that. You know? In my mind, that's one of the cool things about Las Vegas too, is that the talent level of of the people there that are just it's off the hook i mean the people that are that are performing along the strip in the various as you say the various headliner shows like tenors of rock and bronx wanderers and human nature and shows like that and then even just the 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 quote-unquote just the lounge performers are amazing Dave, who's their bra section play with oh the uh, boys to men uh they play with uh well they play with all the all, all the big uh all the big um Anyone that's big, they played with Celine Dion, they played with any of the big shows that come in there. Uh, our, so. our sex player jumped off the stage with Donnie Marie and came up and played with us. Yeah. And, he, and his, his teacher, and who he played with, was Steely Dan. Wow. Yeah. It's and he's, he's a super player and a really nice guy. He has his yeah, own the, show down, Opium, on, on the strip. Brilliant fun. Yeah, they're great, uh, they're great musicians. Uh, uh, so we use them for the bigger shows and stuff like that. But every now and again, uh, they, they come in, uh, so just for a rebuffer for ourselves to keep our chops up as far as, you know, having a bigger band situation going on. Uh, we, we, we did a big uh, Paddy Fest gig where we headlined uh, an Irish festival in um, Lake Havasu City in Arizona. And it was a huge success. We had about 7,000 people there. And uh, uh, it was a big, the big band. We had a fiddle player, horn section, bass, drums and guitar. And we had box players and solos and other sorts of bands uh, at the end we had a big free for all you know what i mean and there's a great video of that on, on our on our black donnelly's page as well so you can you can check that out as well but it's it's, it's a great sound and our drummer was uh, uh, les warner who's a hall of famer he's a drummer with the cult with the cult yeah wow that's yeah just a, that's amazing something i wanted to hit on earlier that i forgot to ask about is the name the black donnelly's this this is a I, I thought, you know, I got it. There's got to be some kind of historical connection. There's a Canadian connection in there. 
with that name. So how did you guys settle on? And it's quite a tragic story. I'm not going to tell the story because it's, it's mildly depressing, but how did you guys settle on that as a, as a band name? Um, it's very, very, very simple story. And it's, uh, we were, when, when myself and Dave were traveling around and I used to get, get calls to play with different singers and different artists. So we would recruit a band, the drummer, the bass player, the bass player, and then we'd get like another guitars or keyboards or whoever it would be. And we would back these people who would like being on like the equivalent of the voice or they had got signed the recent deal and they needed the band real quick. And so that's what we would do. But we found going around the country and gigging every time we did it, we uh, always after every show, someone would come and go like, um, so what's the name of the band? Can, can I hire the band? I don't need the, the, the rock star guy. I need because it's cheaper to hire the band than this guy. Cause you guys are like, they did organize all the backing vocals, you know what I mean? And organize the harmonies and then, I'd be getting the musicians organized, and that's what we did. And then this guy would come out front, sound great. And then, but anyway, but so we were going around. My brother was a drummer, and he was going, We need a name for the band, we need because people want to hire us, you know, and all that. So, yeah, yeah. So he's sitting there and he's reading the book, The Black Donnelly's, the story of the family, the Irish family in, in, in Lucan. And uh, he said, This is a great name for a band. And we said, What is it? So he started telling us the story. So we searched the story. We needed a name. Like, so if you were working with somebody, say you work with Dave Matthews and the Black Donnellys, you know what I mean? It was like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. We were the Heartbreakers. That's that's exactly that's what it was. And then we got stuck into the story and we learned. And obviously, it's an amazing story. We, I think they wanted to use one of our tunes on, on one of the independent movies and stuff like that. And yeah, we, we, we read up on it. And then, uh, and lots of stuff has happened around the name. So that's that's exactly how it came, came across. So we're playing one night, and then this guy comes up and he goes, "I, I use Donnelly's," and I said, "No, well, no, I'm Dave Rooney. The, the, that's Dave Brown." And he goes, oh, I, "I'm I'm the great grandson of the original Black Donnelly's." Uh, I said, oh, "The really? one that survived, the, the, the one that got away. He's he's the grandson of that one that got away, or the great grandson of that one that got away." He was actually, uh, and he started talking. Very nice guy. He, he started talking about them. Um, and uh, he's a powerlifter. He's a world record breaking. Powerlifter, and what was his name? Dave, as well. So there was Dave, 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 and Dave. You know, and he was born in the seventies as well. I said nobody. I think everyone was high. I just call him David. <laughs> so many Daves everywhere you go. It's it's incredible. Like, you know, what a name to, to you know. Uh, there you go. But uh, that's what that was crazy though. You know, just a crazy part of the part of the story. Anyway, at least you know. I implore anybody to look up the story of the Black Donnellys because, yeah, as you say, tragic and fascinating and and unsolved and 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 I mean, even to the point now where there's in that town they actually were suppressing the story and suppressing the history. There's people that lived there that that had no idea or didn't learn about it until they were adults because they were um, there were still descendants of the people accused of the crime still living there. So the farm is still there and there's nobody living on it. Is not right. I believe that's right. Yeah. In the, in the research and what I was looking at, it was, it seemed, uh, it, it, that's what it sounded like. Yeah. Just a, a very, a, again, I implore anybody to, to look up the story cause it's, it's fascinating. Another interesting point about it is, is the, um, uh, it, it, they've made a movie of it as you, as you probably noticed by now. And it's, it's free to watch on YouTube. And the filmmakers contacted us to let us know that they'd made this movie of the Black Donnellys, which was nice of them. They didn't have to, you know. And uh, yeah, to watch it, it's it's pretty good. Um, it's really it's pretty interesting. So uh, just for anyone that would be interested in going to watch it, there's a free movie on on YouTube. Definitely, definitely. Um, I want to talk about the world records as well, because you guys, you 
it's all these, as I was reading up about you guys and reading into your story, all these different world records. So first of all, tell me about the world records that you guys hold already currently. The first one was the one I did in uh, Temple Bar. It was 2011. That was, I played for 148 hours straight. Um, and that was with the, with the, obviously the help of all the Temple Bar musicians and everybody came in and on a two or three hour set and on and off. And that was, that was the first one. And that was, that got, that blew up for me and blew up for us all over the place. And then when we came to Vegas, it was part of the deal to get us there that we would do another world record. And that was? Uh, 372 hours, uh, the longest concert ever held, 15 days and 10 hours, uh, which was insane. And uh, we, um, yeah, we, we, we did it with the help of, of other artists as well. But, but we, we, we kind of, uh, what we, did, we forged the attack on it and we fronted it. And uh, uh, I sang for 118 hours, I think. And uh, I was very ill after it as well. And, yeah, it, it was tough. I was falling asleep, standing up, <laughs> playing it and stuff like that. But it was, it was amazing to have everybody involved in it and everybody, uh, it, the camaraderie that, you know, that it invoked was, was fantastic. And it caught the imagination of everybody that we'd, uh, crazy PR numbers, like uh, there was 237 million segments of information out there in the, in the digital world about it. Like, you know, we'd 90 TV news stations and we'd 200 news agencies that, that, that picked up the story. Uh, we got massive, massive um, uh, exposure through it, you know, and that's really helped us, you know, to, to, uh, to get where we needed to get with regards to getting exposure here, with regards to getting our green cards and, you know, to, to, to show that uh, we had them kind of numbers that we were people of extraordinary ability, which is the monocle of the green card that we're under, the EB1. And then this, of course, led to the the most recent one uh, with your your documentary film, an Irish story. This is my home. Another world record attempt on here. Um, sixty shows, fifty states, forty days. That's a lot of numbers. First of all, how how did how did you guys get the idea for this? Was it you know too many Jamesons and too many Guinnesses one night going, hey, you know what, let's do this, or or how did this kind of all come about? That was only that was about the fifth idea for the world record. I had. We were playing and we were doing stuff, and it was like we need something else. We need something else. We need, the music's not a problem. The songs, your man's writing songs all the time, so the songs is not a problem. The playing is not a problem. We need something different. So that that was it. And I was coming up with all sorts of ideas. And the only I was talking to Phil uh, Carey's uh, family one night, and he, he said to me just as we got off the stage, he said, "Oh, um, oh, my son, what can't, can't be here tonight? They're going to." Um, Nebraska or something or wherever he's gone he said we're going and they're going to finish the last two states and I said what do you mean he says yeah he'll have seen all 50 states then and I went is that a thing and he goes oh yeah yeah a lot of people talk about that and I said give me a minute so I ran into the kitchen Google what's the record and it was 50 gigs 50 states in 50 days I literally walked out onto the stage and said to him man I have a fucking great idea <laughs> I was like at this stage it's like oh go leave me alone I'm going solo so it's like this is this is the thing, and um, it took a while. But I went through all the stuff, and I think we can do this, man. We can do this. We can hammer this record. You know what I mean? So that that was basically it. And then we 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 sat down and we put a load of it. We put like six or seven months together of what, what we could do. And when you when you watch it and you see what what we it's, I know everyone said to us like, oh my god, you didn't plan this. We planned that as much as we could, but. When you watch it, you see everything went wrong. So it's like, it's, it's an amazing, and even the stuff that you're seeing, that's, I'd say about 
maybe 30 or 40 percent of the stuff that, that we could show there's all all the build-up to it and everything else and there's a backstory to it and all that but that's basically what it was we needed something else that we could do so the biggest thing we do is what's the biggest country we have is america so <laughs> let's do that you know so that's basically the that was the idea Amazing. And then there was drinking involved as well, yes. There was lots of drinking involved. Unlike yes. I was going to say, there couldn't have not been drinking involved in coming up with this idea. (laughs) You couldn't have have done it otherwise. No way, you know. Unbelievable. Just amazing. And so the idea of making a documentary out of this or or turning it into a film, was that always kind of on the idea or did somebody pick up on that and go, you know what, this would be a really great idea for, for a documentary? No, we had that. We we sat in the, and Dave was, and we were saying we need to document this properly because we didn't do the last two properly. So that's what, and we had an idea. And then uh, Dave met up with the uh, director and took it from there. Yeah, we did. We did. We did mutual mutual uh, acquaintance at the time, and uh, he was saying, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, we might have somebody be interested in in documenting this, you know, or making a movie out of it, you know. And I said, okay. So they put us together anyway. So I went to meet him and uh, I liked what he was talking about. And he it seemed like a nice guy and all the rest of it. And uh, great ideas. And uh, he'd, uh, he was out of, uh, he just moved here from Los Angeles. And he was linked up uh, with uh, the director of photography for it was a guy called Michael Tussauds, who was um, a six-time uh, Emmy Award winner. And, uh, uh, you know, so, so we knew that we were in good company and stuff like that. So we set about uh, getting the uh, get, getting the finance for it, uh, trying to raise finance, looking for investors, all that kind of thing. An absolutely huge, uh, gargantuan project to take on, n- never knowing that uh, you know uh, how much uh, it actually took to pull something like this off. Uh, it, it was it was it was huge, huge monster. And and of course, I mean, it's streaming. There's details and info on your guys' website of where where people can pick it up. But it's, I mean, it's on Apple TV and it's on Amazon Prime and it's it's all over the place. Yeah, it's it's on my watch list for this weekend. I showed my wife the trailer as well, and she looked at Yeah, we need to we need oh, to have you a, need to see it. Yeah, we need to have a date night. We need to watch this and and absolutely go over it. I drink heavily when you're watching. <laughs> I'll I'll make sure I pick up an eight pack of Guinness to throw in the fridge, so I'm all set there in that department. <laughs> it's enjoyable. Although you, you will enjoy it, it's a, it's an absolute, uh, it, it's an experience, and uh, it keeps you, in, you know, enthralled all the way through. And uh, it's a, uh, it's, 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 it's a great movie. I think it's great. You know, um, I'm delighted with the, with the, with the, you know, uh, what it's doing to people, and people are compelled to come and tell us that, like, what they think of it, and uh, so we're delighted the way it's going. So excellent. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, pandemic and pandemic Vegas and and things like that. Um, you guys have been keeping very, very busy throughout all of this. Um, first of all, I mean, I, I've been different entertainers and different folks I've been talking to since I've, I've kind of asked this question. I mean, what was your guys' first reaction when all of this started to go down? Did you did you kind of look at it and go, eh, this is looking like this is going in a bad direction? Or did you think, ah, this will blow over, it'll be fine? I, I think everybody thought it was going to be a blowover. I think everybody thought, oh, it's the flu. What's everyone getting their knickers in a twist for and all this kind of stuff on there? And then and then it's it then it hit and it started to close down casinos and started to people you're getting news of people dying all over the place and uh, and then we're kind of going all right this is actually happening we got to March 16th uh, we had a huge week on uh, biggest shows that we were going to do to date we're we're we're, we're, we're booked and uh, various Paddy Fest thing with the Fremont Street experience we Folktale Winery we were singing the national anthem for the for the, for the Vegas nights. On the ice, uh, we had a television set up with 
all that sort of stuff. So it, it, it uh, yeah, it was a real, it was a real kick, uh, kick in the pants, and um, we just kind of went like, okay, this is this is serious. And here we are, what now, seven weeks later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it was tough. It was tough. Absolutely. But you guys have been keeping very busy too. And I think that this is kind of what garnered my attention a little bit is the, the Facebook live shows that you guys have been doing are fantastic. I am, I am loving this. Um, and, and the thing, the thing that I love about it is that they're so casual. I mean, you guys are, are set up in your home. You got your gear set up there. Your families are wandering around in the background while you're doing it. It wh- what it actually reminds me very much of is, uh, and Canadians will absolutely get this: a Newfoundland East Coast kitchen party. It's just people in their house playing their music and just. And I, I absolutely, I love what you guys are doing. Oh wow, it's, it's uh, nice. That, nice that you say that. Oh, not not at all. And and, and uh, a lot of people have been saying that. And you know, I have my daughter singing a song, and then. We're shouting out to everybody, and then people are, you know, are chiming in with their different requests and all that stuff. It's it's a nice kind of a party vibe and stuff like that. And uh, it's of course it's certainly helping us, you know, to do something and keeping you busy and occupied and all the rest of it. But it's nice, you know, in, in the knowledge that you're doing some good for for everybody else and that they're coming in to enjoy it and all the rest of it. So, so yeah. But, but thank you, thanks for that. I appreciate it. It's it's been as I say, they've been a lot of fun to watch and and really. That, that's kind of the the other neat thing that's come out of this in that that you know it's a it's an absolute shit show of 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 everything but the level of creativity that's come out that I've really been able to see with with all of my my Vegas entertainer friends and 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 entertainer friends and entertainers in general is everybody's still finding a way to to stay creative and stay performing are you guys finding it difficult to get that motivation or is this just you you know this is in your blood you guys want to perform this is what you want to do yeah well i think we see it as an opportunity uh uh number one uh the film came out on saint patrick's day when the world closed right right so so immediately you've got a captive audience straight away because what's everybody doing they're turning to netflix they're turning to the tv movies anything just to get to pass the time boy and, and all the rest of it you know uh that's one side of it the other side of it is yes uh, you, you want to keep busy and keep doing something um uh all of our uh funding uh, died as well with that so it was quite catastrophic for us because we had we had backing for uh for advertising for advertising the movie advertising ourselves advertising these tours that we want to do get more from the pub scene out into the theater scene We've various venues at the moment that we, that we sell out through tickets and stuff like that. So we know that we have that catchment and we have that ability uh, to go and do that. Uh, we also know that through the exposure that we get, we, we'll get greater exposure and we can get maybe bigger houses, you know, two, three hundred seaters, maybe possibly even five if it gets to that. So, yeah, so all of these things are, are, are just something that has, has, has given us uh, the impetus to feel like that we're moving forward. Use it as an opportunity to expose yourself. Stay current. And, uh, and and do what you can to, to, to occupy the mind. I'll, I'll go back to the movie again. So you see, we, we do that thing that people say, you roll with the punches. We do. It's like, okay, this is another obstacle. Well, well, let's try and use it to our advantage. You know what I mean? So like we're constantly, every like every day, every night, we're, we're, we're concentrating on getting the movie out to all sorts of people, all ideas and doing, and then getting the, 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 the shows together, advertising the shows together, the online stuff. 
and like reaching out. I mean, to, to venues for next year, you know. So it's 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 constantly. And then the the, the movies are great. Calling cards saying, "Oh, well, what's the band like? Or I've heard about you." And well, just watch the movie. You know what I mean? It's not, it doesn't. It's not going to kill you. You watch the movie, you're going to be entertained. So we're 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 constantly on it. We're not just sitting around going, "Oh, can't wait for doors open," because that's not us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not what we do. I was actually just on to somebody there who had an idea about doing, doing a, a massive gig somewhere. Like, I think we're playing on a roof somewhere, but we'll do anything. Do you know what I mean? So that's, it's an opportunity to, 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 to keep going. And as I say, I think the, the really incredible thing with all of this has been just seeing the way um, everybody has, has become creative and figured out ways to continue getting their 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 work out and getting their music out and getting their artwork out. I think it's been I think it's just been amazing to to see and and that's what that's one of the things that I I love about about Vegas and about the people there and the community there and the entertainers there is you guys are just like saying, you know what, F it. I don't care what's happening. We're we're gonna we're gonna keep pumping out material and we're gonna stay with it. So it's 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 fantastic. So I'm I'm happy to see you guys are are continuing to to do that and continuing to uh, to get stuff out. Um, where can people find you guys online? I mean, you're you're all over social media. You've got your website. You guys are all over the place. How can people uh, get in contact with the Black Donnellys? Well, we got the BlackDonnellysBand.com website uh, that will explain who we are, what we are, what we do, so on. Uh, if you want to buy the, the movie or rent it or stream it or whatever way you want to do that, it gives you multifaceted ways of doing that. Um, we work straight off of Facebook, uh, which is our our, uh, our mode of, of connection with people. Uh, it's easy. Uh, everybody is on there. We're at the Black Donnelly's Dublin. Uh, simple as Facebook, uh, the Black Donnelly's Dublin. You go straight to our page there. Uh, we've got a Twitter, Black Donnelly's Dub. We've got uh, in- Instagram, Black Donnelly's Dub as well. So you, you can easily get us there. So uh, if you want, uh, if you do watch the movie and you like the soundtrack to the movie, uh, go over to uh, bandcamp.com and you can you can download it. And you can actually audition all the tracks. It's a 16-track CD, so it's like a double CD on one CD. It's one album. And uh, you can get it there and then very, very, very easily. So, uh, yeah, easily find us on you know, Facebook and Bandcamp.com. Excellent. Well, guys, thank you again for taking the time to chat and uh, and jump on here with me today. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to uh, to being able to to come to Vegas again and go to Rira and party with you guys and and tip a few pints and and enjoy uh, an evening of music because it's it we need it in such a big way so i'm so looking forward to being able to do that thanks, thanks a million thanks a million I'll post links in the show notes to the Black Donnelly's website and social media channels, as well as where you can check out their documentary, An Irish Story, This Is My Home. And if you want to learn more about the tragic real-life story of the Black Donnellys, from which the band derives their name and which we alluded to in our conversation, I've posted some links about that in the show notes as well. Please check it all out at jeffdoesvegas.com. Thank you. 
And that wraps up another episode of the podcast. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. You can also email me directly as well at Jeff at Jeff In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit jeffdoesvegas.com for past episodes, show notes, and a link to the official Jeff Does Vegas YouTube channel. My name is Jeff, and this has been episode number 63 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. 